Hi, you are listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. You will be hearing a sermon from Pastor Jared Aron. So without further ado, here he is. If you're new to our church, my name is Jared. Uh, like the jewelry store, I did get my wedding ring from Jared's Jewelry. And I have high hopes for this morning. Um, it's been a while since I've been up here preaching I tend to be uh, a realist, meaning I kind of set the bar low. I don't expect too much. And now that I'm saying I have high hopes, I'm putting it out there uh, to all of you. But I just really believe in how God has led me this morning with this message and that he just really wants to show up and to show his power through his word. So I feel the need to pray one more time uh, just as we open up God's word together. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are the sovereign God. You are a good Father. You're perfect in all your ways. And some of us come in here this morning, and this world has ravaged us. And we are facing great opposition to our faith. And so, God, I I just beckon you right now that your living word and by the power of your Holy Spirit, God, you would show up in great ways and would speak to us. God, that our hearts would be open to what you want to say. And it wouldn't just be a word that lasts for today, but it would be a word that transforms us uh, because your Holy Spirit has power and authority over our lives. And God, this morning, I long to experience your presence while I'm up here. I don't want to preach in my own strength, so I just beckon you to show your power through me. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So a couple weeks ago, uh, Saturday, January 13th, this text message was sent to residents in Hawaii. Ballistic missile threat inbound to Hawaii. Seek immediate shelter. This is not a drill. How's that for a morning wake-up call? I thought of asking Joe Yoon to use our text service this morning to send out some high alert. I'm like, Jared, that would not be a good idea at all. For the people in Hawaii, some pulled out their phones. They saw the text and completely ignored it whatever, and they moved on with their day. But many others received that text, and they were on high alert. They gathered their friends and families together. They sought shelter. They started making phone calls to loved ones, saying goodbye. This is probably it for me. Life and death hung in the balance for 38 minutes. 38 minutes. That's how long it took for another text message to be sent to say the first one was sent in air. I'm not going to comment on that. But I want to ask you, personally, in your life story, have you ever had a moment where life and death hung in the balance? I've had a couple of those moments in my life. 
And those moments shook me up. It was a wake-up call from God. It's not just the initial shock and response. It's the ongoing processing of that moment and how do I move forward with my life. For the people of Hawaii, they woke up the next morning and they were still trying to recover from this text alert. It wasn't just a 38-minute ordeal. Their lives had been threatened, and this moment will now stay with them for the rest of their lives. Life and death moments are often a divine invitation. It reshuffles the deck of our priorities, making us reevaluate what matters in life. And in these moments and seasons where we feel threatened, I really believe God wants to meet us. This morning, we're going to look at a moment in the early church where they were threatened and how God showed up in their lives. If you have your Bible with you, I know many of you use your phone. I like the, the real Bible, the paper version. If you have that, pull it out. We're going to turn to Acts chapter 4, verse 23. And I read this a few weeks ago in my Bible reading plan, and it just jumped off the page for me. That doesn't happen to me every morning, but that morning it did. And if you're doing the New Testament plan right now, I think you would have read Acts 4 sometime this week. Here's the backdrop of what's going on in Acts 4. Peter and John, two of Jesus' disciples, were arrested for speaking to a large crowd about Jesus. This happened after they healed a man who could not walk. The religious leaders didn't like what Peter and John were telling the people about Jesus, but they also didn't know what to do with them. So they decided to let them go, but they commanded Peter and John to not speak anymore in Jesus' name. So put yourself in Peter and John's shoes for a moment. About a month and a half ago, they had watched Jesus get arrested And that arrest eventually led to death. So they know they're on thin ice with the religious leaders, and their fate could easily follow in the fate of Jesus. And yet Acts 4, 19 and 20, records their response to the religious leaders when they're told not to speak anymore in Jesus' name. And here's what they said. Peter and John replied, "'Which is right in God's eyes?' To listen to you or to him, God. You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. There is something powerful that God is doing in Peter and John here. And I believe we can learn from this. I believe God wants to do this in us today. This morning, I believe God wants to show us how to respond to threatening times. There's a lot that we're facing in our culture right now that threatens what God wants to do in us. And we'll get to that in a bit. But I want to first walk through this passage, starting in verse 23. Acts 4, verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people, and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, 
they raise their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Upon their release, Peter and John go back to their spiritual family. And they tell everybody what happened with the religious leaders. And how do they respond to this threat from the religious leaders to not speak anymore in Jesus' name? There's no strategic planning meeting here. There's no listing out the pros and cons of what we should do. There's no evacuation plan. It says they lifted their voices together in prayer to God. Oh, how I wish my first response was prayer more often. Too often, I start with analysis or I start with worry. I'm so prone to overanalyze everything in my life. When I get in the car, I'm constantly analyzing what's the best route to get to my destination. It's just constant, nonstop. Even as I'm preaching here right now, part of me is analyzing back here, this little portion of my brain, how's it going? Are people bored yet? Is anyone asleep? Am I the only one that does this? My mind is always spinning in analysis. I want to analyze less. I want to pray more. I want that portion of my brain space to come to God in prayer. God, show up this morning. Show your power. Pray more. Analyze less. The believers here in Acts 4 start with prayer. And they begin their prayer with God and who he is. Sovereign Lord, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Lord, you are sovereign. God, you are creator. They were remembering in prayer who is in control and who holds the power over this world. And in threatening times, it's important for us to remember who is in control and who holds the power in this world. And I fully understand the emotional and intellectual challenge here. We struggle with the rampant run of evil in our world. There is so much darkness in our world. And maybe for you personally, you have experienced the wounds and disappointments of life that you cannot shake. At times, it can be so hard for us to understand. How can God be in control? How can he hold all the power and be good with all that's happening in our lives and in our world? And I'm not dismissing the tension here. But faith, faith calls us to first start with what God reveals in his word. And over and over again, we read in scripture that God is sovereign. He is in control. He is good. And that that there is a plan in the messiness of all this. 
I think Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, is an important scripture for us to embrace. God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, than my thoughts, than your thoughts. This verse reminds us we are limited in our understanding. Faith requires us to accept mystery. Faith invites us to embrace that we don't know the full picture. We won't understand all the reasons and the answers to the why questions. It matters that we acknowledge God's sovereignty, especially in threatening times. I believe there's something that God does in our hearts as we remember that he is in control. There's a work of his spirit, a work of grace, and that he often brings about peace and strength and comfort. We acknowledge who he is, even if things don't make sense or circumstances do not change. One of my friends posted on Facebook uh, something that a pastor that he knew of uh, shared with his congregation. This pastor was diagnosed with terminal cancer, and he stood before his congregation and shared the diagnosis. And he would die eight weeks later. But this is what he shared with his church. God is in charge. When things like this come into our lives, they are not accidental It's not as if God somehow forgot what was going on and something bad slipped by. God is not only the one who is in charge, God is also good. Everything he does is good. If God does something in your life, would you change it? If you change it, you'd make it worse. It wouldn't be as good. And that's not a theological statement as much someone personally sharing in the darkest moment of their life how he was embracing God's sovereignty and goodness over him. And practically speaking, this week I want you to remember there is no limit to the scope of God's sovereignty in your life. He's sovereign over your career. He's sovereign over your family. He's sovereign over your singleness. He's sovereign over your marriage. He's sovereign over every single one of your children's lives. He's sovereign over your medical issues. God is sovereign over the joys and victories and successes of your life. He's sovereign over your pain and suffering and disappointment. He is sovereign over every moment. The moment you were born to the moment you will take your dying breath. My hope and prayer for us is that we would acknowledge God's sovereignty, that he would pour out his grace and peace over us as we do. Continuing on in the passage, verse 25. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together. 
against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. There's a reason why we connect so deeply to some of the great stories in literature or the movies of our day. Movies like Star Wars, which I think is an epic classic. I won't comment on the most recent uh, Star Wars, The Last Jedi, but you can talk to me after service about my thoughts and feelings about it. I have pretty strong feelings. But why do we connect with movies like Star Wars? Yes, it's the special effects, it's the futuristic elements of life in space, it's the cool characters, but I think it runs even deeper than that. Every good story has tension and conflict in it. In Star Wars, there's the conflict between the dark side of the force and the good side. This battle between good and evil connects to something deep in our souls, Deep down, we know this is true of our human experience. We live in a world in spiritual conflict, a war between good and evil. And I think in the day-to-day grind, especially in America, the spiritual battle is often hidden and unrecognized. But movies and stories call it something deep in us that we know is true of our faith. And this truth is the kingdom of God is opposed by an enemy. And his forces want nothing more than to kill, steal, and destroy what God wants to do in us. In Acts 4, uh, they're acknowledging the spiritual battle that's going on here. Uh, They're acknowledging there's a movement of surprising allies against Jesus. Herod and Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles and the Jews coming together against Jesus. Acts 4.27, indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. The anointed one, Jesus, became the opposed one. And the crucified one. In verse 28, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. And still, they're acknowledging here, God was sovereign. He was sovereign over this opposition. This was part of his plan. I want to remind us this morning, the Christian life is not a neutral journey. Reading your Bible is not a neutral activity in the spiritual realm. Spending time to pray and seek God does not go unnoticed by the enemy. Are we the only family here that finds Sunday morning to be one of the most difficult moments of the week? There's a reason for that. The enemy does not want you here on Sunday. Does not want you to gather with others In God's presence. We have an enemy who opposes us and does not want us to move towards Christ in living 
for his kingdom. I believe it's important for us to discern the times that we live in. And what are the threats against us today? And I've been thinking and reflecting about this and and what are some of the key spiritual threats for us, the church in America? And I thought of four that I want to share this morning. I think we really got to be alert to and on guard against. And the first one is apathy. I believe apathy is one of the great spiritual threats for us as American Christians. The privileges we have, the abundance of things to allow us to escape, distract, or numb us from what should really matter most. If the enemy can lead us to apathy, it creates a deadness in our soul. It makes us numb to spiritual realities. Second thing is the threat of despair. I read recently in a book, and the author was saying, in our information age, how much news that we receive on a daily basis, today we are receiving more bad news in seven days than a person 50 years ago would hear in an entire lifetime. Let that sink in for a moment. In the next week, you will hear more stories of pain and suffering and disappointment and discouragement than a person in 1960 would hear over the course of 70 years of living. I mean, that seems unreal. But we are assaulted by despair on a daily basis. And it's so easy to get beaten down if we're not alert to this threat. The third one is divisiveness. Do I even need to unpack this one? Political and racial and economic divisiveness is tearing our country apart. And it's infecting the church too. And all these things lead to one of the most prevailing threats of our day, I believe, which is fear. Worry, anxiety, and fear seem to be at epidemic levels in our world. And I don't need to read this on the news. I get this personally in my own life. Fear has been one of the core struggles of my journey on this planet. In the first month of the sabbatical, this is something that God was doing a major work in me, just highlighting how often I let fear win the day in my life. And I'll be honest with you, I woke up this morning, and usually when I'm preaching, I wake up that morning, my first thought is, oh no, I'm preaching today. (laughs) And that almost happened this morning, but I caught it, and I just started to pray. And I asked God to just be with me and let me not give in to fear. I often fear failure. I fear the unknown. I fear disappointing others, and it's, it's become just so normal for me to live this way. So this is a big deal for me. And during the sabbatical, God led me to 1 John 4.18 and, and began to do some major work in my heart. This is what I was repeating myself this morning when I woke up. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. 
There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear. As I reflected on this verse and began to own it, I realized God is calling me and he's calling you to be fearless in this world because of his perfect love, which is for you every single moment, that the love of God really does banish fear in us because we know we are safe and secure in him. That no threat can come against us that will be able to stand up against the power of God's love and the safety we have in his kingdom. And I'm still learning what this means for me and how to live this out. But in all these threats against us, we don't have to be afraid. We do not have to give in to fear. These threats are no match to the power and security that we have in Jesus. I love what Dallas Willard, he would say this often to people. I don't think it's in any any of his writings. He said, the kingdom of God is never in trouble. Neither are the people in it. Man, I love that. We've got to embrace that today in the church. The kingdom of God is never in trouble. Neither are the people in it. And I see this in Peter and John and the other believers who were praying that day. Even though they were threatened, even though they might lose their life for following Jesus, and many of them did, they knew they were okay. Because the kingdom of God is never in trouble. There's safety in Christ because of his enduring love and victorious kingdom. Let's move on to the final verses of this passage. Verse 29. And this is when I read this a few weeks ago. This is what jumped off the page for me. Now, Lord, consider their threats. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal. and Perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant. Jesus. Lord, consider their threats. If there was music to highlight like that climatic moment of a movie, it would have been played during this line. Consider their threats. I think about Gladiator and Russell Crowe in that moment. He removes the mask and he stands up to Commodus and declares his identity. Uh, He stands up against the opposition. The believers here are acknowledging the spiritual threats against them, but they don't back down. They stand up in prayer. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal. Perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They didn't pray for and seek retaliation. They didn't pray for rescue or even protection. They prayed for boldness to stand up and speak for Jesus and for God to show his power. God, give us boldness to speak for Jesus. God, show your power through signs and wonders. 
The very thing they were commanded not to do by the religious leaders was the very thing they knew they needed to do. They didn't let opposition or the threats lead them to fear. They stood their ground with courage and conviction. And they beckoned God for boldness. And this was no longer just Peter and John. The other believers joined together in rising up to what God was calling them to do. And I believe God's heart for us this morning is that we would not live in fear. That we would not feel threatened by the opposition in this world. This morning, God is reminding us of the security and love and peace that we have in his kingdom. And I also believe God's heart for us is to rise up together, to stand up in courage and fearlessness, to speak for Jesus and represent Jesus in our world today. So my question to myself, my question to all of us is, will we rise up to live boldly for Jesus in our culture, in our generation, where there's a threat of apathy, we rise up to show there is real life and joy to be found in Jesus. Where there's a threat of despair, we grieve the pain and disappointment of this world, yet we remember the unshakable and eternal hope that we have in Christ. We rise up out of hope. Where there's a threat of divisiveness, we demonstrate the power of the gospel. The real power of the gospel that brings unity, that brings peace in our day, and that values every person walking this planet made in the image of God, who God loves and Jesus died for. Where there's a threat of fear, we ask that God would make us fearless because of his perfect love for us, that we are safe. I believe it's time for the church, especially the American church, to rise up. It's time for us to call upon God to give us boldness to represent Jesus in our day. It's time for us to beckon God to show your power again. Move in our country Acts 4.31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. God showed up. There was a physical shaking of the room. And the believers were filled with the Holy Spirit. And God answered their prayer for boldness to speak the word of God to people. May I long for God to do this among us today. For God to shake us in a good way by the power of his Holy Spirit at work among us. To shake us out of our apathy, out of our despair, out of our fear and lead us to cry out for boldness and to cry out that God would show his power in our day.
And this week, I want to invite us to practice the word that we're hearing this morning. And anybody can do this. I want to invite you to join me in praying two simple prayers. I've been praying it all this week, and I'm going to continue to pray this. Lord, give me boldness, and Lord, show your power. Lord, give me boldness to represent you at work, in my neighborhood, whoever I might encounter today. And that might not be sharing about Jesus. It might be just loving someone where they're at. And God, as I step out in boldness, would you show your power? Would it be your Holy Spirit working? Because I can't do this in myself. This is all about you and your Holy Spirit. This week I'm having lunch with a friend, and um, it's amazing. Every time we get together, we have these amazing spiritual conversations. And um, often I think, okay, we're just going to get together and connect. And then it always goes to these very deep theological discussions. And most of the time, I don't know what to say to my friend. And when I meet up with him this week, I'm not sure what to say. But my prayer will be, God, give me boldness. I want to share about my love for you to my friend. And God, I'm asking that you would show your power. I don't have it all figured out. You don't have to figure it out. The Spirit of God will lead you as you pray this prayer. I believe there are people in your life who need you to be bold for Jesus. They're waiting for you to be bold for Jesus, to speak on his behalf, to represent his love and grace and compassion. There are people waiting for the rescue of Jesus in our lives. Yvonne and I, last weekend, we watched the movie Dunkirk, and it's based on the true story of the end of World War II. Dunkirk was a harbor town in northern France, and the German forces had trapped the Allied troops at Dunkirk. There was no escape except by sea. And so the Allied forces started to send boats in. Large destroyer boats came into the harbor, and the troops were lined up on the beaches, hundreds of thousands of troops. The problem was there wasn't enough boats. So a call went out to England for people, private citizens, to take their boats and travel across the sea to come to Dunkirk. And the citizens of England answered the call to rescue their troops. On the first day of the evacuation, 8,000 troops were rescued. By the eighth day, due to all these smaller boats getting involved in the evacuation, 338,226 people were rescued. It became known as the miracle of Dunkirk. This prayer for boldness and for God to show his power is not for our own sake. It's for people who need the rescue of Jesus in their life. People who are stranded on the beaches of their loneliness, of their brokenness, of their sin, and they have no hope. They do not have Jesus in their life right now. In Dunkirk, it took everybody from large destroyer boats to the small fishing boats. In the kingdom of God, it takes all of us. Each of us have a role 
to play in this rescue operation. And each soldier who was rescued at Dunkirk mattered. It was a person with a name and a family and a story and a person who God loves. My brothers and sisters, there is great spiritual opposition against us these days. But our God is greater. Amen? His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his love is unstoppable. Each of us can make a difference for Jesus this week. And my prayer for us is that we would rise up together. And let's start with praying for God to give us boldness and for God to show his power. And the Spirit of God will lead you as you pray that prayer. And let's watch and see what our amazing God's going to do in America and in our community these days. Let's pray. God, I am excited about the possibility that exists in this room. As a couple hundred people gather here this morning in different places in our journey with you. But you have invited us to be a part of your kingdom plan. And so, God, we want to just be surrendered to you, yielded to you. And first, God, we want to acknowledge together that you are sovereign, that you are in control over this world, that you have a plan in all the messiness. And you are the good father that we sang about earlier. Your heart is for every person in this world to come to know Jesus And God, I pray this week you would keep us on guard to the spiritual threats against us. That we would not forget that there is an enemy who wants to destroy what you want to do in us. So God, I pray spiritual protection over us. We claim the power and authority of Jesus Christ over our lives over our families, over our small groups, over our church. We know, God, the enemy is no match to your power and your authority and your rule over us, God. So I pray we would not live in fear, but that we would truly become a fearless people, knowing our eternity is secure with Jesus. That there's no threat that can come against us that can separate us from your love. And God, would you answer our cry to be bold? Give us boldness, God, not for boldness' sake. Give us boldness to represent Jesus and to speak for you in this world. And as we pray that prayer and as we step out in faith to follow how you will lead us, we ask that you would show your power. 
that you would heal people who are broken and lost and desperate to find you. That you would provide true rescue in our day, in our country, that people would find Jesus. And not only find Jesus, but follow Jesus with their whole life. And so God, I pray we would not resist what you're trying to do in us this morning, but with humble hearts, we would obey and follow you as you lead us. So thank you again for your word. Thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit. We pray all this in the power of the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.